0: Welcome to the Film Crew Love Podcast. Let's have some fun. All right. uh, Welcome to the Film Crew Love Podcast, where we discuss the labor of film love and the love of film labor. I'm your host, M. Hotep, joined today by uh, one and only Tommy Maddox-Upshaw. Say hello, Tommy. What's up? How y'all doing? Excellent, man. Tommy is a uh, director of photography in Hollywood. Um, I guess he just finished uh, Empire a few few months ago and now is uh, in the middle of prep on uh one of my favorite shows snowfall until covid hit man tell us about where you were when that went down oh man we were actually
1: shooting mm. episode 4 uh for the first 2 days of the episode come the 3rd day of the episode we had to shut down march 11th i believe it was yeah. yeah so been uh you know starting to slowly go back to work to do some other projects but uh Disney and the mouse said uh, we're not working at the moment, but yeah. all was good, and uh, got to do some other little projects, you know, recently. But if anything, check out the John Legend. Uh, I heard you were
0: part of that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That that one for BT Awards. Uh, never, I think that's like never give up or we will never break. I forgot the name of the song already, man. It's like. Nice. It's a, it's really good, though. Uh, Benny Boom had me lens it up for him, and it was really emotional. And a lot of black hands went into making that music video, and it was great to work with Benny in that capacity because it's been a little bit of time for he and I to do that type
0: of stuff. We've done some TV together, but not a music video in a while. and It was great. Excellent, man. I need to check that out. I was too deep in my books on Sunday, but I heard that the quality of the production and the fact that they had BET actually on CBS was money. So, right. um, you know, I need to check that out. I heard good things. I know my man, Van Hayden, I heard he did an Alicia Keys thing. So I'm assuming that that's in there somewhere. Yeah, I saw
1: the Alicia Keys one. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one too. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Van's good
0: people too. Yeah, it's good, brother. Good brother, man. So, um, Tommy is uh, you know, he's been in the game, you know, this is about half your life now, brother, right?
1: Oh, it's getting close to that.
0: <laughs> uh, I ain't telling your age, right, man, but you Yeah, a that's one. all right. Uh, I kinda think
1: sometimes I'm a vet. Sometimes I think like, you know, I'm just getting started, man. I really think I found my voice yeah. more recently in terms of what I really wanted to do but um yeah, man, it's been like close to twenty years. Yeah. I think of of being in this I started off actually as a uh about nineteen years old and then uh and then from there I've been in this game, uh started off as a PA, then went to Grip Electric, then camera operator and then D P. Uh so you know, it's been a long journey. I mean I started an undergraduate, you know. So, but I didn't go to film school. Then I went to film school in grad school. So it's an interesting, interesting journey from Boston, Massachusetts, man. Trust me, it's an interesting journey from
0: a place called Mattapan where I grew up. Let me ask you this, man. For a cinematographer, man, is it best to go the film school route? Or do you recommend just getting uh, your hands uh, dirty on the set through Grip Electric? camera and working your way that way, man? Or is it just both?
1: I think it's a bit of both. Um, Film school, I think, is a good thing because it's a place where you can really kind of just zero in and learn the craft at times and learn, you know, you pay somebody for the critique is what you're really paying for in film school and also the network. And uh, I went to the American Film Institute after graduating from the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Mass., So I graduated from AFI in 2004. Um, I went there a couple of years after graduating from uh, undergraduate studies. And uh, I think, you know, much like Miles Davis, he even spent time at Juilliard. You know what I mean? You learn certain things structurally in terms of the craft and storytelling that you can be isolated and, and learn. And then you can flip the script. You know, they kind of learn the the rules, but on set is even another way, and you have to, you know, you got to learn that as well. You know, right? So, a bit of both, yeah, a so bit both. of both, man. Yeah. But I think film school is a is is not a bad thing. Every a lot of everybody's favorite filmmakers all went to film school for the most part. Be them D, be they director, yeah. or DP. I mean, Spike, Marty Scorsese even Spielberg with the freaking film school. It's like Quentin didn't. Okay, that's one of him and, him and like uh, the guy who did Spy Kids. They didn't, but that's how few versus how many did. You know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah. Let me ask you this, cause th- because I've, I, and I, you know, I agree with the film school route, but I also play the devil's advocate of how much it costs just to get in and through. Right. And some folks are saying, man, I could shoot something from that and put it up on a YouTube or you know, kind of just get my hands on the camera.
1: Let me let me say it, let me say it like next. this.
0: Ain't nobody started in film earlier than
1: Ron Howard, who was on, yeah. what was it, the Andy Griffith show, right? I think it was on Andy Griffith. Right. Starting at like four or five years old. He still went to film school. Right. After, after being on Happy Days, after being on Andy Griffith and all these other TV shows, he even went to USC. So if he still felt compelled that he had something to learn after already being in the business for 13 years on set, on hit TV shows, then how, how are many of us not compelled to make the investment and go find the time to hone in on the craft and something that we love? You
0: know what I mean? I hear that. I hear that. What for those who can't afford uh, sc, man, you got, films. It's, a, it's an investment. You it's like
1: you can go to, you can go to <laughs> LACC. The Hughes brothers went, to, went yes. to Los Angeles Community College.
0: I love it, yeah, I love it. You know that. what I mean? You yeah, can go to Santa true.
1: Monica College, come out here, go to Santa Monica Community College. There's, there's a bunch of different New York Film Academy where I teach, they got like a month long program. Yes. And if you really want to figure it out, you can figure it out. It's an event, I mean, not everybody can do the AFI. I uh, it was, right. I got helped by my sister to help co sign on my loans. You know what I mean? Like,
0: right. uh,
1: it, it took that for me because my parents didn't have that bread, man. My parents had nothing, they had no idea about the film business when I started talking about doing this in undergraduate, and there wasn't a film studies there. And, you know, my, my mom was an, an accountant, worked her way up, a high school diploma, became an accountant, and my dad worked for the transit in Boston and we in yeah. the hood so it's like great. it's one of those things they've raised four kids but it's like as far as them having contacts in the business and even understanding college education and all that my parents
0: they, they, they that's great idea that's a lot of families man and i'm glad you're saying that because what it does is uh what i see now and you can expound on this as you've been in the game man um uh, there's a lot of young talent that's coming in. There's a lot of folks that, you know, the medias are on our phones 24-7. Right. Everyone is making videos. YouTube is, uh, you know, that's uh, exploded. Um, so, like, what do you foresee the future of storytelling visually right now? I mean, the, the, um, do people man, even... The, the, the master could, of fine
1: arts, the MFA, is the new MBA. And that's a fact, because if you don't know how to create content and you work for any type of business, content is key in terms of presentation, in terms of like pitching ideas. Like you got to understand multimedia to some degree in any facet of real business. Those are the people that are going to get hired before anybody else versus just number crunchers. You know what I mean? Still, people got to crunch numbers, but to have that to have that type of, uh, you know. Background and understanding of storytelling, visual storytelling. That's that's what it, where it's at right now. I've heard it multiple times, in like NPR, even they talked about it. Everyone's talked about it. You know,
0: so expressing yourself visually. Uh, that's the yeah. New, every uh, company has MBA. to.
1: Every every facet yeah. of business has to, because we're bombarded. To your point, you're bombarded by images from the time you wake up. On so many different right. outlets, your phone, your iPad, billboards going by TV, you know, so many different ways. You got to somebody has to create the content that will tell a story within seconds, you know?
0: Yes. What do you say to the oversaturation of content? Is there such a thing? I'm not sure if there's such a or thing, it?
1: if it's just a part of our, our, our life. That's it's what just it is. what it okay. is.
0: How do you stick out in that crowd? How do you say, hey, look at me at this time? During this moment, that's uh, tough. Man. You know, if it's that's the million-dollar yeah. question.
1: I mean, right now with the political uprising in America, the eyes are on Black Americans for change. You know, we've been we right. we kicked to the wayside for a while, and now people are starting to listen to us and want to hear our stories because it's just so blatant in terms of the the, the oppression and the silencing on so many facets of our life and culture and humanistic value that uh people have realized that they've been really kind of ignorant towards it on purpose you don't don't want to face certain things you know you know a lot of americans you know the rest of the world's kind of seen even the world's like yeah
0: bad in the stick you know yeah so that's interesting you say that man what have you heard from anyone uh in the industry directly, or indirectly, uh, peers, colleagues, mentors, uh, friends, foes about, Hey man, you know, were you in this, uh, social unrest? What do you, what was the ideal project for you? Your representation. I'm curious now that, uh, this is the multimedia era and the black lives and stories are, uh, of interest now. Mm-hmm. uh the creatives yourself included what have those conversations looked like
1: oh man um you know my colleagues had checked in on me but i had to remind them i'm a black man in america this isn't news to me this ain't this ain't right me. you know what i'm saying like <laughs> dealing with the the fact right. that like it, it's like my my dad grew up in alabama you know what i'm saying he left alabama uh after like 18 years old so 1962 my mom left North Carolina in like 1964. So my parents and the, the Jim Crow ever, you know, that lineage and understanding is, is within me. And to talk about creatively, for me, a story like Snowfall is very personal. You know, um, that's why I I I bring a different emotional standpoint, like I've told people, because my family, you know, cousins, first cousins, and on both sides of my family, has substance abuse issues with crack cocaine in the 80s. You know, so for, for me, the project that I'm on right now and what I would love for the, the universe to bring is more of these like dramatic biopics. I mean, that's why that John Legend video is something that I, I love. You know, I just did recently that is something behind it. It's great. Kalushi, that's on Netflix, is a political drama. I love that. You know, those things emotionally tie to me because I'm a, a pretty political person and I'm a black American who has deep family roots in, you know, being subjugated to segregation and other things, you know. Then I grew up in Boston, so there's like his own ball of wax there, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yes. Yeah, I saw a clip the other day of the brother, um, Roy Woods. I think he was on uh, Noah, Trevor Noah's show. He was in Boston. Mm-hmm. Because I guess they ranked ranked as one of the racist cities for some reason. Yeah. Uh, He was one around making a spoof of it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how how does that sit with you? And that's your hometown. I mean, you got, there's a black contingency there. Oh, black folks. there is in every urban America. Black folks have been in Boston
1: since the Boston Massacre. You know, Crispus Attucks. You know what I'm saying? I know it. Um, When it comes to that dynamic, they talk about it's really like the old. I think it's a bit of the old Boston, you know, the, you know, I even got friends from South Boston and all that rhetoric and uh, the chip on their shoulder and this and that. But it's like, it's like, check this out. Here's the irony. Boston versus New York. Black men have been getting massacred in New York for the last 15 years. I can't tell you the last time I heard about Boston cops massacring no black man. And more, uh, here's a historical fact. Look, you look it up. More black men were hung in New York City on one day, I think, in response to the the Civil War, than any other time in U.S. history. Hang them from lampposts. Mm. Martin Scorsese put it in Gangs in New York. But I had read about I this know. in high school. New York has had a has had years of hanging black men. Boston's had years of busing issues, segregation, and and whatnot in terms of like not letting black folks buy houses, certain areas of, you know, racial dynamic. and But you find that out in a lot of places. It's just Boston was yeah. pretty overt with it because the Klan marched in Boston in the 70s. But then the white boys from Southie went and started fighting the Klan, too. So it was like this weird right. thing. It's a, you know, it's crazy. They poked that brother in the eye with the, the top of the flag, which is like a, a famous picture. Same time, yes. though, 15 shots. You know, uh in New York City. Them cops, you know, right. they, how many different brothers they done killed? So it's like, you know, is there a difference between Boston and New York? Yeah, you know, Boston has its issues. But uh New York has massacred a bunch of black men in the last 15, 20 years, you Me and Spike Lee have had yeah. this out, you know, me and Spike have had this argument on set. <laughs> we talk about sports so he talks about Boston being so racist, and then I bring up the historical fact. And Spike is he kind of pauses, and the people are like, "Is that for real?" He's like, "Yeah, it is. Actually, <laughs> it's like he's actually,
0: yeah. is actually right." Yeah, he's taking his—he—he—he's taking his racist stuff from the energy at the guard right you know, now. I mean, he is. To the oh man, and, yeah, I feel they, bad for Spike. They go to the yeah,
1: I can't believe yeah. they disrespect him. But it's like, yo, point proven. It's like, yo, bro, oh, um, you know, you, you ain't that far off of it. But you Spike's my man. Like, I love that dude. He's right. giving me so much work and opportunities by being guilty by association with him uh, and and loving black people and, and all types of people but particularly black people in production Spike Lee is one of the the cornerstones you know uh, the foundation of hiring black people behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera but he's hired, he's hired more people, black people behind the scenes than in front of the camera you know
0: I love him for it yeah yeah, no, he's uh, he's dynamite, man. I think uh, this is the day. I think it was thirty, let's see, eighty-nine. Yeah, thirty-one years ago, do the right thing came out today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Still relevant. Yeah, you, we we still see it. Yeah, man. Right. Still <laughs> no brothers of the wall, right? we're Still <laughs> no brothers. You know,
1: yeah. it's, uh, yeah. I've said that about some camera companies, and uh, you know, around town. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you, man, have you guys had um, your brothers, had, have you guys had Zoom chats, uh, the black uh, contingency of camera operators or yes. cinematographers? Yes, or? yes. How's that been going, it's man? Been going, How's that it's going?
1: been going great. So there's a, a group called Spores um, and Spores, Inc. is a group of black cameramen that's branched out to be a little bit more international and then there's like the national black cameramen's like group that I Dixon is a part of, uh, he kind of started that list and we've had zoom calls, but uh spores is the new one that uh, a brother named Mo Balaji started uh, from a, a WhatsApp group. At first we were a WhatsApp group internationally with his brother named Joe Honeywell. Uh, and then, uh, then it just grew and then spores came out and now, you know, there's a, there's a couple of them, there's a couple of them, but we are definitely talking. We are definitely talking.
0: It's great. It's great to talk say. about the energy in there, man. So, how many, what is sports, sports what is sports dance it, It's kind of like, the camera? It, yeah,
1: it's kind of like a, a, a derivative of a diaspora, you know. I uh, got you. And, yes, I know and it. And yeah. So, with that being said, there's it's mainly it's, it's men and women of black descent and people of color. And uh, we've branched out to even like uh, different Latino and Latina X and and whatnot, yeah. and, but it was really started as a black cameraman, woman social group uh, to try to put a list together to facilitate us being known within the industry, and a couple others have po- popped up as well, but uh, it's all good. It's, it's, it's share information, and, and it's getting some traction, and, you
0: know, it, it's good stuff. That's excellent, man. We had one uh, with the black... Uh assistant directors, okay. LA, New York, uh, Atlanta. Now, you know, some of these production managers have been around a long time. It's like, wow, this is, we never had these much, you know, these many black ADs together ever. Did you have uh, Brother uh, Dwight on there? Oh, yeah, that's my man. Yeah, that's my <laughs> first call, yeah. Yeah, me and Dwight, yeah, that's that's my mentor, man. He and I chat once a week or two. Brother um, Dwight, deep in the time. He was the one that said it. He was the one that said it. Yeah, he said, uh, Brother Tep, you know this is uh, you know, I've been in the game fifty years. We never had this. Right. I said, well, this is where we're starting. Right. Yeah, man, he's great. He's yeah. great, man. Yeah, it's a good idea. I don't know who's running the sports, but that's a good idea to have that list and make sure the other black constituencies have those lists. We can all interchange those names um, for referrals, jobs, yep. and collaboration. Man, that's that's money. Yep. Exactly.
1: That's the thing. I mean, it's it's one thing to inspire somebody. It's another thing to hire them. We can do more empowering of people not from lip service but from hiring them put money in their pockets. Right. You know what I mean?
0: I do. I do, man. Um, let me ask you this. So um, what do you anticipate the next 12 to 24 months would be like uh, post COVID? I mean, now we have a lot of new black projects in development. I just saw Joe Lewis with Maharshala. and Mahershala. Yeah, the, yeah, not, not Joe Lewis. Um, uh, Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson. Yep. Yeah. Saw so that. You know, I'm seeing. You know, I saw Beyonce's thing. I'm just sitting here like, wow. What, what are we gonna step out here into? Um, you know, in the next by 2021, 2022. Uh, what do you anticipate? Let's 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 play future.
1: Um I would anticipate that there'll be a lot of stuff in development, and I pray it gets to production. I just know mm-hmm. there'll be a lot of development, and with that being said, with the lists that are going around for black people and crowing, I hope that black hands are crafting these stories. I have a, a real uh hard time when I watch movie credits and TV show credits go when it's stories about black people and then you really see that black crafts folks are not being involved in discussion to, to help make these things happen because you got to realize the production designer is bringing stuff to the table from their cultural background as is the costume designer. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but this beyond just Ruth Carter who's the homie. A real mm-hmm. sister. I love Ruth. It is beyond just Wynn Thomas and Hannah Beechler. You know what I'm saying? There's other people out there that are looking for the opportunities to, to be developed to become the next Hannah, Wynn Thomas, you know, the next Ruth. And, you know, we're out here. But one of the things is that, you know, you're only, as Malik Saeed said to me one time years ago, you're only as good as the opportunities uh, presented to you. You know, it's like my man Darryl Walthall said it. If my mama got to get into the gym every day to shoot free throws, eventually she would get better too. Mm-hmm. You know, and black folks can only get better upon getting the opportunities to, to, to possibly to become better. You know what I mean? It's like, right. it, yeah, some people are like, oh, they don't have the work experience. You don't. Have... It's like, well, if, if you don't give the experience. You know, we want to watch a whole lot of other folks fall upwards on projects about black people. True, and yet we we can't get a check. You know, this TV shows about about white gentrification of, of Los Angeles neighborhoods, and yet you find out there ain't no really no black people working on it. It's like, what the heck is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So you you're you, you're leery of uh the the hands that are behind the scenes making sure they bring in their. Uh... Not only that they're black, but they're also uh, getting the opportunities to bring their culture, authenticity to those sets and right. stories. Yeah, right.
1: And I, I hope, I hope that they, you know, people say they want change in Hollywood. This is, this is how you do it. You make a way, and you bring in the, these people to the interview. You, you look and, and find them. It's twenty twenty man. You can get online and find just about anybody. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So things are changing now, man. Things are changing. Phones are ringing.
0: Yeah. Just see when we can
1: get out of here because of the COVID of it all
0: when we have you heard from uh everybody. have you heard from your production manager? Anybody over there where you were or what We we did, but now with this whole new influx of yeah. supposed
1: cases, even though they're not fatalities, just more cases, it's kinda like, Well, let's uh I don't know if our prep start date's gonna be the same, but What were they talking? July, August? July prep, end of July prep,
0: and start shooting again in August. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, well, we'll play by ear with that, man. We have the same, I had the same phone call last week. Um, Yeah, what show? uh, You know, I I was on, I finished on 911, man. That's my home. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was there for two years and. You know, that's a show that's already uh, insane enough with all the stunts and special effects. Heck yeah. So, you know, I don't know what uh, that holds in the future or how the script's changing or what Fox is prepared to do, man. The studios, uh, you know, we'll just wait and see how they plan to keep uh, this new world safe. Right. You know, yeah. Right,
1: right. It ain't, it ain't Fox, bro. It's Disney. <laughs> nah, yes. That's right.
0: <laughs> True. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Disney. the same boat. We, yes, brother. FX. You are. You FX. Fox, yes. Too. Yes. Yeah, that's True. the mouse, baby. True, <laughs> when Mickey bro. come out and
1: talk, that's when we find out we're going back to work.
0: True. <laughs> yes. You are right about that. It is Disney. Yes. <laughs> Safety. Yes, my man. Uh, okay. Oh. All right, man. So um, I guess for you, as you, um, you know, a lot of my thoughts are kind of thinking about the next generation, man, because, um, you know, I'm, I'll be turning 42 in like two weeks, man, and I'm always thinking about, okay, I'm mid-career, roughly, mm-hmm. but, you know, who's coming behind me? Is their pathways open? How do I make sure they get them? Uh, for mm-hmm. the young youngsters that are coming behind you uh, and are reaching out or moving up or moving left or right, Uh, How should they maneuver, man, in this new world? I mean, what can you, what mistakes that you made, would you say avoid this or what things that you uh, would say take advantage of this? You know, how can they maneuver without being too aggressive and this or being too complacent? The way to move, I think,
1: creatively take a lot of chances. Politically listen to the mentors you know, like, listen, take, take the time to develop and know what it means to maneuver on set. Man, only, like, 20, 30% of this is, like, actual talent. The other bit is, like, politics and how to move, you know, and how to be, how to move in possibly foreign spaces, mm-hmm. how to make yourself vulnerable enough to take the chances to, to meet other people you know, um, and to be comfortable in those spaces and, you know, talk to the mentors of what, what can be done exercise-wise and what to look out for, pitfalls. You know, it's like right now it's a different day. you got a lot of ego a lot of young talent, but yet they don't have onset experience. Some of them, they're not taking mm-hmm. the time to really learn what it means to be on set and how to maneuver because there's a whole different part of the business. Remember, this is the film business. In order, how you move, manage people, deal with productions, producers, ads. As a DP, you got to deal with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to know how to read the defense. You got to make sure that you have allies. Why should you have allies? the the, the, the to, to try to be the only one on set? And you hire a bunch of people that got more experience. To you may not be in your best interest because you may not have any allies on set to have some eyes and ears about the pulse of the crew and the pulse of these producers and people making side eye comments. So you you need to figure out why and who you could bring along and why and when to get, let people go versus keeping people. Like, but the OGs are the ones who taught me that The Johnny Simmons, Don Morgans, you know, Ernest Dickerson's like those guys over the discussions, Gary McLeod all talk to me. At different times about how to move my mentor Brian Heller out of uh, Providence Rhode Island you know all those guys talked to me about the craft a little bit but always taught me different lessons about how to move and deal with people on set you know and 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 during prep yeah a lot of lessons there
0: Right. And you learn by, you know, learn by experience with that. So sometimes people get burned or they learn, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, it's a bounce back opportunity.
1: Uh, Man, a brother named Bill Dill used to give lectures when I was at AFI. He was my professor. He shot the five heartbeats. He used to give lessons about the interview on set. He used to give these major discussions and lectures about how to be careful And watch out for certain pitfalls and being set up to cover your butt, you know, make sure, you know, there's certain things that I do. And if there's a conflicting discussion, I will always make sure that there's multiple people around that are decision makers, like a production man or A.D. like yourself. Mm -hmm. If I'm getting conflicting stuff from, say, a director, I'll bring over the first A.D., and then if there's a producer there, but I say, hey, I, I, th- I would like for you to be in on this. Right. So when the director starts pitching this stuff and how long it's going to take, and we had the open powwow, there's no miscommunication about why didn't you say it would take this long? Why I'm doing what the he said? But why didn't you speak up? Nah. Everybody, everybody's going to agree to do the extra. Okay, then it's going to run a little bit long, and we all understand that, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we get it. All right, cool. I don't want to hear nothing coming back, being peeled back at me from the network or studio. He doesn't know how to manage time. They're responsible with time and, and facilitating. Nah. Everybody was in on the conversation. How about we write it down and send it to the studio that there was a powwow
0: and there was a request.
1: You know what I mean? I Stuff do. Stuff like that.
0: I do, yes. Let me ask you that, because, that, you know, as an assistant director, I'm dealing with schedule and Manpower of uh safety, and you know, uh, obviously, cast and locations, and a lot of different things. Uh, when I confer with the DP, I you know, depending on if they're rotating or uh, if they're on set, I try to text them ahead of time and get that relationship going. But a lot of times, uh, you don't get in touch with the DP until right before shooting, and you know. Hopefully they read the script, maybe they haven't, maybe the director and the DP had a conversation the weekend before or send the emails. Um, How do you on an episodic world uh, without prep kind of get the flavor of a director and figure out, oh, this person is requiring this. I should be a little more heavy handed or fall back. They know what they want. How do you kind of pick your battles uh, under the gun of production? with a novice or limited prep. I always make sure
1: I'm prepping somehow with them. I'm getting yeah. notes somehow, you know, on Snowfall we switch DPs on Empire. I was no switching DPs. And the gaffer would give me notes about stuff. And uh, I'm really kind of a, I'd rather, I'd rather walk through a location with a director mm-hmm. personally. Cause then I can give solutions. You know, how many solutions can I give and how many solutions could I have in my brain? Even if I only tell the the director and AD one, I make sure I, I possibly have a couple of ways to get in and out of there as I'm walking through the space and I'll keep it in my pocket the two, but I'll present my first one to them. You know what I mean? I won't present all three. I'll present the first one. So then if anything changes, then, you know, I, I got a solution that, uh, I can make happen, but I try to have some type of communication and if there's something big, I make sure that the producers and everybody's on that email, which is the legal doc and just be like, look, everybody got the heads up that they wanted to do this, right? Okay. So upon that, this is what, this is going to take in time and special equipment, or we got this piece of equipment. I just need somebody to take it there a little bit earlier and I can turn it around for you. You know? Yeah always talking solutions if there's one thing a cinematographer can learn how many different solutions can you have for something i always have three ways to do it you know I, i'm a big football fan you know growing up and watching the patriots but one thing they did all them years they kept switching out personnel because they kept having solutions to to you know beating folks and it's like you know switch out receivers don't throw the long ball how many different short balls can you throw to get the first down. It's Mm. like, that's what it is. Me and my gaffer always talk about that. How many different ways can we achieve soft light, hard light? How many different ways can we get in here? What's the fastest way we can get up? You know, if a director throws us a curveball, what can we do to make the adjustment for the audible?
0: Nice. How many, um, as you, you've been in the game for a minute. How many uh, gaffers do you have in your pocket? I mean, if you have someone... You have just like a normal, I know you have maybe one or two that you work with. Is it like five, ten? Nah, it's, nah. it's only a
1: couple, man. A couple? Okay. Yeah. Um, One of which was my intern. And then eventually I bumped him up to Gaffin. That's Justin Dixon. Okay. And then he's on Snowfall with me. And then a brother I met in Atlanta named Byron Maroney, Abdul Bahari. And he uh, he's and I got teamed up on a show called Tales, and we've been friends, best friends ever since. You know, me and Justin are best friends. Justin lived down the street here in Englewood from me.
0: Nice.
1: Um, and uh, you know, I work with Christian Epps sometimes, once in a while, and once in a blue moon, Brad Jameson. And then I've taken on and met some other folks along the way, but it's mainly Justin and uh, and my man Abdul, aka Byron. Them uh, two brothers right there and then uh, I've worked with different key grips. Dan and Johnson, I've worked with a bunch over the years. Uh, Matt Lim, I worked with a little bit, and uh, now I'm working with Bobby Thomas, a brother who did Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually grew up with John Singleton. He's been a key grip on Sons along with other stuff, but I got him with me on uh, Snowfall these past two
0: seasons. Really good brother. Man, Thanks uh, for giving the shouts out to the brothers, man. When I visit a set i know that the crew was a reflection of the production manager and the dp right. right i always and i was talking to sister heidi who was production manager over at uh blackish and uh that was years ago when i visited that set and if it wasn't a representation of the title of the show and um that was a mandate from her so her rolodex reflected that uh, that's good. That's
1: good. I heard they needed some more black camera folks on that show, though. I heard they when I was there, they
0: was there, that was there. That might have been years ago. But yeah, I'm, yeah. You know, I'm sure they are. You know. Um, uh, so that's a shout out to the youngsters that are coming up and put your stuff out there to, yeah. to the ABC Kenya Bears world. Um, so you got you mentioned your gaffer. Uh, you got Justin and uh, brother Abdul. All right. uh, Bobby Thomas is a veteran. I remember him. Um, so talk about your camera team. Do those guys stay consistent, or are you just kind no, of take available.
1: Man, nah, okay. man. I keep it consistent.
0: All right, so who, who's yeah. rocking with
1: you? Um, there's a brother named Alex Lim, out of PG County. Oh, uh, nice, I know PG. Alex, uh, Alex is is a brother. Uh, is you say, your operator, you say, nah, he's my first AC. Oh, nice. oh, nice. First AC, focus.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah, him and Apprentice Smith. Okay, you know, both of these black black men are good folks. They're great at pulling focus. They're good people. Underneath them, we have Jose, de Los Angeles, Dominican dude. Alex is Dominican as well. Uh, And Gina Victoria, she's Dominican, um, uh, out of Miami. And Jose is out of Patterson, New Jersey. You know, they all live here in L.A. now. And then uh, operators, I got Xavier Thompson, uh, young brother from Georgia. And I got Pauline Edwards, one of the few black females in the country who's a union camera operator. We've all done like four or five shows together. Literally, and then Fernando is my utility. And uh, this year we have a guy named Jacques, who is French, who's our loader. And then we bring in some other folks, you know, um, upon day playing. So a good part of my crew is, uh, you know, Black diaspora descent and uh, Latinos, Um, and it's uh, it's cool, man. Like you know, people don't realize the DP brings close to thirty six people with them yeah. with the rig crew of Grip Electric with the onset crew of Grip Electric and also camera department and then once you get into day players that number even shoots up higher you know so we're, as a cinematographer I'm responsible for a good chunk of hiring I can influence a good piece of hiring at which case I, I'm trying to kick the door open you know for as many people and
0: opportunities as possible that's that was gold, brother. That's gold because I don't think a lot of people realize uh, the director of photography that the his his essential crew uh, is his cup, that's his comfort zone, right? right? People hire who they work with previously, and those relationships in the shorthand is already there, right? So if they don't know you um, from previous experiences. Uh, they probably tend to not hire you on the long term. They bring you in for a day play, or if right. someone's not available, right? So let me right. ask you, how do you how do you accumulate this crew, man? Is this some some oh, Alex just kind of randomly just kind of right. yeah.
1: Alex? Alex I met when I was teaching at New York Film Academy. He was my TA, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, you're really good at what you do. Sometimes it's just be me and him teaching a, a practicum class where we're doing lighting and camera. And he was just, grassy, you should get in the union, man, as an AC. He's like, yeah, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. And I got him a couple of gigs. Todd Doche-Reese brought him on some stuff. After I referred him, he got his days and got in the union. And Apprentice has been around for a long time. He worked with Matty LeBetique, my mentor. And then, uh, you know, there's, shoot, Jose, I met up through Prentice and Gina I met last minute, through this other brother named Lance Mitchell, who who used to rock with us a lot. Lance is operating now. And then, uh, you know, Justin was my intern on a movie, and then I, I just slowly bumped him up over the years to come gaff. And Justin was like the gaffer on Insecure Season 2 that everybody was talking about. Byron was like, worked on Oblivion as like a best boy. You know, all these people from different stuff. And Bobby was introduced to me by my mentor, uh, Johnny Simmons, yeah. you who's know, an OG in the game, you know? And it's, like, it's just one of those things you have to be proactive because in this business, you're guilty by association. You know, if somebody hears they're rocking with me, then they'll most likely get a call from other people via recommendation from me or people be like, oh, he worked on that show with that DP or that show with that DP. And it's like, that's what we want. You know, I, I want people of color not to be the additional mandates because right. that's what happens a lot of times in the camera department. You know, they get on C camera, D camera, when when it comes available, and it's like things ain't gonna change like that. Or they only put them on the rig crew. You know, not right. on set. Like you ain't smart enough to be on set. You ain't good enough to be on company. You got you got to be in the field. You can't come in the house. You know that type of shit. Like it's it's strange to me when I keep hearing black men and women talking about. Yeah, I did additional camera day on this movie or they're not a company A and B, but you have to be a black DP or even a black movie. And I'm like, how is that? Like, we got to be proactive, we're bringing people on set so they can learn and see how to move and see what it, it takes and, you know, be a part of the creative, you know, banter about why we're making decisions the way we do. I'm not, I'm not, I'm pretty different when it comes to how I approach lighting. I don't just throw stuff up. Like people are very surprised how my approach on things, but it's just learning from my mentor like Maddie, who is not conventional at all in terms of his approach to cinematography and lighting. But I just, uh, you know, my rig crew is black, electric. Grip mm-hmm. has some black, some brothers in it, but those guys get mixed into Onset sometimes. But my Onset crew is black too. It mixed with other folks and same thing with Grip. But it's like, I'm not just going to hire people on the rig crew because... You know, I want to get the guy who did, you know, Star Wars, as the Gaffer. Right. You know, there's no need for that. It's not
0: things ain't going to change. Things ain't going to change if we if we all keep rocking like that. So that's a two two part thing for me. First of all, you mentioned um, uh the additionals. You know, who come in and some of the black DPs don't, maybe don't put them on staff. They're just coming in for additionals, man. So is this part and this is something that. We've touched on in our phone calls and Zooms, hire each other, right? Right. Um, Has that been discussed on your Zoom calls? Because, heck yeah. uh, Okay. Because there's sometimes, I don't, I never forget a story where um, I was visiting a brother on a set years ago. And, you know, AD, brother's been around a long time, done a lot of movies. And good to meet you, uh, you know. And you know, went on about my day. But the brother that introduces told me, said, "Yeah, man, he liked you, but he said he can't have any other black men on his team, right? He gotta have." So, and that that twisted me a little bit. So, okay, well, he that's how he navigates. Um, but, so I was wondering if that's something that you come across, as you mentioned, the DP's in charge of maybe hiring over thirty plus people. Yep. Uh, some brothers don't want you know that responsibility yep. of having that so talk about that man I call that iconic negro disease flying a bowl
1: <laughs> of buttermilk the that's shameful <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's shameful <laughs> when I've seen it happen because I've seen it happen yes. and I don't understand why people making moves like that in 2020 2019 you know it's 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 uncalled for in a day and age and Black men are out here being massacred. And we've realized that we have the highest rate of unemployment next to Native Americans, Black men. People can look it up. You know, our voice has been suppressed and when you look at the economics, you know, we, we make more money than Black women do, which ain't that much, right? Mm-hmm. But yet they still have a higher rate of employment over Black men. White women have just under the rates of employment of white white women do have are right next to white men in terms of unemployment uh, unemployment and employment rates and how much they make. So, yes. you know, it becomes a whole discussion in, in all the other ethnic categories. We at the bottom, only ones below us is, is Native Americans. Literally, you can look it up, man. It's on mm. the economic breakdown of, of like this called like the E 19. People can look it up. They'd be surprised. So when I've gotten into discussions with people about hiring, D, we, need, we need an inclusive crew and we're going to hire more women. And then I see that the whole camera department's just, you know, it's a white D, female DP, but it's all white female not even all white females, all white crew because they bring white males. I'm like that's not an inclusive crew. I and mean, when we do the economics, they're not being suppressed. They're not not being employed. I'm just talking economics. So when I bring it up, some people don't know it, but I've had ASC members who've had to admit to it, like even in the presence of camera department. White females have a bigger presence than black men and black especially black women. You know, it's uh you know it's kind of shameful that you know people like Michelle Crenshaw and Diane Farrington and Civil Martin uh haven't had the opportunities over the years that some of their white counterparts have had. You know, and it's just like, you know, and and black men, you know, we've kind of been brushed aside, I feel, to a certain degree. Um, And this discussion of inclusion, like we got left out of it, like all of a sudden it was like, we need to hire more women. But it's like, yo, we we black men, like we not we haven't even been in the discussion to make as much money as our white counterparts nor be hired as much as they are. You know, but now I think things are going to change. People are realizing the, uh, the internal prejudice that lie with all facets of Americana. But uh, yeah, man. You know, I I, okay. I talk economics in black and, and black and white. I'm, I'm so i I pull it up. I pull it up on people when they start having that discussion with me. I'll pull it right up on my phone. I say, you read the stats. You yeah. you read the rates of unemployment and how much people are making, and you tell me. Look at where I am as a black American male, and then the discussion changes because it's like, you can't just hit me with a false narrative. That's big. You know. That's deep.
0: So how do you encourage the other brothers? Is it just kind of like, uh, is it a pull, uh, you know, they'll do what they're going to do because they're comfortable and that's their set? Or is it, kind of pull you aside? And how do you, you know? Um,
1: Man, I, I try to pull as many as I can aside. I try to, you know.
0: Are they receptive I or mean, is that just kind of, yeah. S-
1: some of them are. I think there's or, a few that, that that are. And some are just like, they want who's done the big show already. Yes, because it makes their life easier because they these folks have worked at this level. And it's like, why are you going to hire the guy that's already done the big show? Like, I had a commercial once where I got to work with Spike Lee and Spike had Robert Richardson DP it. I'm like, cool, I, I want to work with Bob Richardson. Like, he did Platoon, Nixon, JFK, Django, and him and Spike were working together on some commercials and I came to operate I get a phone call from production and they're like, Hey, we've got some ACs for you for the job. But they left the door open. They go, But if you uh if you if you would like, you can bring your own people. I said, Well, who did you have? And they gave me the names of the ACs that were gonna work with me on my camera. You know, Bob has his usual people. And they named the folks, I won't name them, but I just saw they they did every last blockbuster movie for the last two years as A-camera focus pullers. Mm. They were white gentlemen. And I was like, you know what? I got this brother named Prentice Smith that I would like to bring with me. And Alex Lim will be his second for the day. And mind you, they usually both pull focus for me. But I brought them and had them right in front of Bob Richardson and Spike and we did the job.
0: Right.
1: And you just, and when, when somebody leave just a little crack for me, I, man, i will put my whole foot through the door and I'm bringing in as many as possible, right. you know. It's just, it is what it is. At this point, man, I've been fired off a job in my career. I've, you know, I know there's people out there that don't like me. Okay, sun's gonna come up tomorrow. I'll do my best. I'm still here. I've been through it, you know. I know those people that don't like my work. I know those people that do. I've traveled the world doing this shit. I'll, I'll figure it out. But if there's an opportunity for me to to help some other folks live this dream man because you know, my my family has too many broken hearts of not fulfilling dreams and I've read too many stories of people in this business that are black not getting you know having a broken heart you know not being able to really go after their dream I'm not going to contribute to bro- broken hearts within my community enough of that shit you know so be, be better.
0: Well, that's a good spot to uh, to to pause on right there, man. Uh, this is real insightful, man. We pulled some uh, layers of the onion back, man. Um, okay. So if, I guess I'm gonna end with this: forty eight to twenty four to forty eight months from now, man. Um, what do you project to be? What do you project to be? You're in your producer thing, you're your director, your deep end, or are you uh, like right I where you are? Love
1: to, I love to DP. You know, I love sci-fi movies, man. I'm a, like, I love Gattaca. I love that Star Wars craziness. You know, I would love to. You know, they even love that Black Panther. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for some Marvel stuff. I'm a sucker for weird, interesting sci-fi. You know, sci-fi drama. I would love to be shooting one of those those size movies just to know I can do it and contribute to it because I love that stuff as a kid all the way until now. You know, even when I was a kid, I loved like Flight of the Navigator. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, I am I'm that dude, man. Like I'm silly like that. Um, but I would also like to segue into producing and development. I would yeah. like to get in to get into that next and still shoot. You know, there's a woman that does it whose work I've loved over the years and she's starting to direct and produce as well as still DP named Ellen Curris. And I've been watching her career for years and she's doing it. And uh there's also another D P, uh forgot his name he he's also been doing it uh philip rosalette i believe he's been dp'ing and producing stuff at the same time so it's not impossible you know you know maybe direct some tv in between once in a while but uh development producing and shooting features or some great like you know game of thrones type you know craziness that'll be that'll be fun to me man you know some it takes place in some other part of the world. Like, I love that fantastical stuff, man. I love to lens it and take the helm of it. I'm going to do it somehow. I don't know how, but it'll happen. (laughs) Yes,
0: I I might as well just put it out. there. Okay, I'm going to follow up with you on that, man, off the air. Uh, This has been the Film Crew Love Podcast, man. Tommy Maddox Upshaw, uh, Labor of Film Love, Love of Film Labor. Till next time.
1: Peace.